This pandemic has provided an opportunity for a reset. I believe we need to do five things. First of all, to create momentum for the Great Reset. The Great Reset is a welcome recognition that this human tragedy must be a wake-up call. The Great Reset. The Great Opportunity for Reset. The Great Reset. Great Reset. For the Great Reset we're talking about here. In short, we need a great reset. blessing that uh, that you could be here and um, pray that again uh, this morning's message is a blessing to you that it would encourage you and that in every way you might uh, be able to rejoice all the more in the Lord it's been a um, it's been a series that I've enjoyed uh, going through it's been a, a, a real trial within me with regards to what to be able to bring out initially I thought I would introduce a whole bunch of videos and all that sort of thing about all the mess that's going on in the world today but apparently you all know it so I thought I'll just focus on the millennium I'll focus on the things of of the Lord what's going to be happening there and why that is considered in my perspective the greatest reset of all and it makes what the current efforts are pale into insignificance um, there's more than enough happening within the world to gather our attention but, uh, but I pray that your attention now would be focused on, uh, on Christ, on the Lord. This is what I referred to today as the Millennium Tour. The last message I spoke about the children of the, of the kingdom and I set in a context the biblical state of the world, where we are at uh, at this present time relative to biblical history. I also spoke about how we got here what it was that the world had once believed or held on to and how we've so much fallen from that point. Um, it, was, it, was a short, it was a short view of history, but I wanted to be able to give you that biblical history of how that was presented. Today, I want to undertake a biblical tour of the millennium. I want to be able to demonstrate to a certain degree, and I won't be able to finish it today, we'll continue it on next, next week, um, what it will be like, what its constitution is, what its character is. My aim last week was twofold. One was that you might have an understanding of where we are today and also how we got here. Uh, but also that how the world was, was blessed and had a foundation in the Lord and then when it lost that foundation, the world became, well, what we're seeing today. We've got no foundation. There's no sure ground. There's no footing. There's no, 
There's no standard of what is right and what is wrong. There are people that are making decisions that are arbitrary, that are not based on anything that's rooted in reality. And there's so many of those things that are going on and we'll touch a little bit about on that in a moment. My aim this week is also twofold and that is to describe the place for those who are known of Christ, to describe the place that we are all going to be a part of. We're actually all going to be there. And that's something that next week you're going to try and get your head around because it's quite an incredible thing that the Bible presents. But we are going to be there. We are going to be there after we are taken up by the Lord in the rapture of the church and we are going to be returning with Christ to the earth. That's what the Bible presents. And we will be with him ruling and reigning with Christ for a thousand years. Um, you know, you could look at it you know, metaphorically if you choose to, but the Bible doesn't present it that way. It presents it that literally, that we will be here. So I'm just simply going to be presenting what the Bible speaks about and to encourage you in that. But there's another reason for it, and that is that we might have our focus upon the king of that country, that city that has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. This is the place that we want to be having our focus. This is the place that we want to have our our endurance even through this world at this time so both messages have their focus that you might know the confidence that you are the children of another kingdom you are the children of the kingdom of the lord you are the children of his kingdom Um, and i want you to it's a hard one because i want you to be able to consider yourself living in this world in a way in some way as on the outside looking in because everything that's going on within this world is not due to, is not for us to be having our focus on. Our, for us is to be focusing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And the other part of that is, there's a reason that I believe prophecy is given to us within the scriptures. And I think a part of it is, yes, we recognise a part of it is warning. Uh, it's a warning for the world, but it's also a recognition that the world is heading in that direction But I think a part of it for us is that we would start to lose our hold on this world as if this is it, as if our life here is everything. And I think the more we loosen our grip on the things of this world and the things of this life and we have our focus on that which is the Lord's, then then we would in every way be a blessing to this world. There's a saying that's um, that's often said to malign this idea They said that they are so heavenly minded that they're no earthly good. I would tell you that the opposite is true. I would tell you that the exact opposite is true. That the more heavenly minded you are, the more you're focusing on the things of the Lord, the more beneficial you would be to this world. You see, that's how this world had its blessing to begin with. Where people were focused on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, would share it with others they then had their focus on Christ, that they have an eternal hope and would share it with others and it would go on and go on and go on and we were blessed as a result. Today we've abandoned that in large measure right across the world. So we can't expect to see too much from that. We are to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Just as Israel were peculiar in the sight of the Lord and just as he separated them from the kingdoms of this world, so too has the Lord done to all those who trust in Christ. We are, according to the Bible, a people set apart, Psalm 4.3. We are peculiar, 1 Peter 2.9. We are in the world, but not 
of the world, John 17, 14 to 16. We are here for a specific purpose. We have a charge, a commission that the Lord's given us, Mark 16, 15. To do His will and not our own, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. The Lord could have taken us out of this world, but how would our testimony of His saving grace be witnessed in the world? How would that have happened? I've asked the question before. All right, Lord, you've saved me now. Time to go home? No, He has us here still for a purpose. He has us here for His purpose and His purpose alone. So we're going to be looking at the Millennium Tour this morning. Um, and we're going to be looking at the greatest reset of them all, where, according to Revelation eleven fifteen, it says, The kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever. Let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, dear Lord, as you were with us last week, I, I do ask and pray, dear Father, you would be with us again this week that as we turn to the Scriptures, that we may be wonderfully encouraged, that we may be wonderfully blessed, that you may bring together the words that I will preach unto the people, that they may be encouraged in the knowledge of the truth of Christ, and that in everything and in every way, each one of us, dear Father, may be refreshed, that we may be in every way rested, and that as we look at the Scriptures, dear Lord, we may rejoice in Christ. We thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity and for this time. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. The Millennium Tour. Truth. Now, in your newsletters, and I'm hoping that you've all got a copy of them, um, won't necessarily follow the exact outline that I have here, but all the scripture references that I refer to here are in there. It's not under the sermon notes as it usually is, only because I've got a whole bunch of different small short headings. Um, But the scriptures are definitely in there with regards to this. So, truth. Is our, is our first one. As, as I mentioned in our first message, that the kingdoms of the world have always been characterized by the nature of the kings of the world. The kingdoms of the world have always been characterized by the nature of the kings of the world. If it was an evil king, it would be an evil kingdom that they would be subject to. If it was a good and a godly king, then it would be a good and a godly kingdom that the, that the, that the people would be subject to. It's no different here. It's no different with regards to the millennium of Christ. This is a time that would be characterized as one that is filled with truth, filled with truth, because He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the ruler of this kingdom. Antichrist, however, is the complete opposite to that. He is the one who, Daniel 8.12 says, has cast down truth to the ground. He has cast down truth to the ground, His mini-reset that we are already witnessing is one that is literally filled with what? Lies. It It is filled with lies. The things that you're receiving in your news feed has only a semblance of truth, but the rest of it is to lead you into deception. And I don't care whether you're on the left side of the political spectrum or on the right side. I don't care if you're left-wing or right-wing. As Vance Havner said, they're both flapping on the same bird. And it's true. They are both flapping on the same bird. It really doesn't make any difference which way you are guided. You're getting deceived from both sides of the spectrum. 
You're getting to see from both sides. The only way you can know the truth about anything is to have a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. And this is the reality. Antichrist has cast down the truth to the ground. During this current time, Daniel 11.27 says, the king's heart shall be to do mischief and they shall speak lies at one table, but it shall not prosper. For yet the end shall be at the appointed time. Incredible passage that we see. We see a time during the tribulation of the world at that time where the kings are going to be shaking hands and lying to one another at one table. There's been times when political enemies would be so opposed that they would ensure that the tables that they would gather around were so large that they were not able to reach over and shake one another's hands. This will be different. It'll give the semblance of unity, but there is disunity and discord within the heart. They will speak lies at one table. Not so for the King of Kings, however. Turn your Bibles to Psalm 45. So remember I told you, keep a finger in the book of Isaiah or keep your newsletter in there because we will be turning there a bit. But Psalm 45 is also a valuable one. We see here one king referring to the most mighty king who we looked to that will reign and rule. This is King David writing in Psalm 45. Just read the first four verses there. He writes, My heart is indicting a good matter. I speak of the things which I have made touching the king. My tongue is the pen of a ready writer. Thou art fairer than the children of men. Grace is poured into thy lips. Therefore God hath blessed thee forever. Gird thy sword upon thy thigh. O most, might, o most mighty, with thy glory and thy majesty, and in thy majesty ride prosperously because of truth and meekness and righteousness, and thy right hand shall teach thee terrible things. The remnant of Israel who are going to be suffering greatly under the reign of this Antichrist, they are going to find their stay, their strength, their foundation in the Holy One of Israel, in the truth itself turn your bibles to isaiah chapter 10 isaiah 10 and verse 20 there's some important words or hooks little links that you'll see within the text of scripture and that is something that you're going to see throughout the bible always making sure that the context is giving you that uh, the understanding of it but you cannot go past some of these little hooks one of them you're going to see coming up in this verse in verse 20 it says and it shall come to pass in that day that the remnant of israel and such as are escaped of the house of jacob shall no more again stay upon him that smote them but shall stay upon the lord the holy one of israel in truth little word there that little hook that i was mentioning that day that day has more often than not a distinctive meaning or representation it tells you about a specific day and it's a day that begins at the beginning of the tribulation and it ends at the end of the millennial reign of christ it begins right at the beginning of that seven-year period that the bible speaks about that will be like no other day in history no other time frame in history on earth no, no time that has gone before it, no time that will come after it is anything as evil as that seven-year time frame. So when you see the words that day or 
um, the latter days or phrases such as the day of the Lord. Understand that the day of the Lord is specific to the tribulation but can also potentially include all of the millennial reign of Christ. This is an interesting hook but we'll see that Israel, unlike today, will have their stay upon the Lord. They will be honouring Him and worshipping Him in truth. Zechariah wrote of the future bringing in of the people to Jerusalem in Zechariah 8.8. It says, And I will bring them, and they shall dwell in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. This is the nature of that kingdom. It will be a kingdom filled with truth. This has not yet occurred. Do we live in a time that's filled with truth? Nothing like it. The exact opposite. This hasn't occurred. Isaiah writes in Isaiah 65, 16, he says that he who blesseth himself in the earth shall bless himself in the God of truth. And he that sweareth in the earth shall swear by the God of truth because the former troubles are forgotten and because they are hid from mine eyes. The Bible also goes on to speak about this world and this time that we're living in, that it'll be forgotten. It'll be forgotten. The world, everything that we're going through at the moment, I mean, and it's so front and centre in our own minds, in our own eyes, and we have concerns about the future that this world is enduring. And yet the Bible also says that this time is going to be forgotten. It'll be a part of history. And I can understand that, especially if we're going to be there for all eternity. It won't be a part of our eyes. Paul writes within the Scripture, and he says, for the suffering of this present time cannot be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. So even though these times are difficult times, it can't even be compared to the wonderful blessing that's going to be to come. You'll note that these troubles are also signified by new heavens and a new earth. And we see that in Revelation 21, which follows Revelation 20. Isaiah 42.3 says that he shall bring forth judgment unto truth. Judgment unto truth. We live in a world where men fail even at the consideration of the word truth. There is no truth, they say. There is no such thing as a single absolute that is known that is just as true for you as it is for me. We all have our own truth. Truth is, is personal, it's not public. Um, it's subjective, it's not objective. This is what we refer to philosophically as existentialism. And that's what this is. Every single one of us have our own truth according to the modern philosophical ideas. And we'll talk about that when we discuss Friedrich Nietzsche in the time to come in the foundation study. Also Soren Kierkegaard, who is another individual who's going to be part of our foundation study that will be happening in months to come. These two individuals, though one was before the other, the writings of the one wasn't discovered until well after the writings of the other. So Søren Kierkegaard didn't get discovered until well after the 1940s, 1950s, though he wrote a hundred years before that. Existentialism is the belief that there is no such thing as an absolute truth, which is true for you and true for me. And we are all today living with the consequences of that. The individual in Texas didn't think it was wrong to do the things that he did. In his own mind, he had some form of justification for it. And we are teaching this to our children in school. And we want to ask ourselves the question, are we not seeding the roots of evil within this world? 
If there is no standard of that which is true, that which is right and that which is wrong, then what justification do we have of condemning such acts? On what basis do we condemn such acts? We don't have a basis for condemning such acts. Why? Because there are no absolutes. Truth is cast into the streets. And this is the world, and this is the part of the world that we are enduring today. So what happens to truth when mankind turns away from its source of truth? Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. Here clearly it's speaking to the nation of Israel and yet we can see a representation of it perfectly given to us here in the world. Isaiah 59 verse 12, three verses we'll read. For our transgressions are multiplied before thee and our sins testify against us. For our transgressions are met with us and as for our iniquities, we know them. In transgressing and lying against the Lord, and departing away from our God, speaking oppression and revolt, conceiving and uttering from the heart words of falsehood, and judgment is turned away backward, and justice standeth afar off, for truth is fallen in the street, and equity cannot enter. Beloved, when truth is fallen in the streets, so too is justice. There can be nothing just when we have exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Nothing good comes from a lie. People always are hurt, every time, everywhere. I've said, I've been in business for over 25 years and when I've wanted to deal with a particular client who didn't refuse to pay their bill, I was, I was warned that, that there's no guarantee that I'm going to get the money, you know, because it all depends on how the magistrate happens to be feeling at that particular time and that morning. And I won't, I won't go into the different expressions that we used by the lawyer. I had an individual who sued me for unfair dismissal. He was fighting on the building site and he quit. But he sued me for unfair dismissal. I go and I, I front up to the, uh, to the mediation period because he wanted some money. And the individual who was there, he guided me through the different rooms. He said, once you get to here, it's going to cost you a couple of thousand dollars. Once you get to this room, it's going to cost you about $5,000. And then by the time you get to this, to this room over here, it's going to be around about ten grand to fight, to fight this thing. He goes, in the end, this isn't about what's right and what's wrong. This is about what's commercial. What's commercially viable. It's not about principle. Of course, we're living in a world that's not about principle. These are the sort of things. You have no guarantees that when you go to court, you're going to get a fair hearing. Why? Because it's not based on truth. It's based on what happens to be popular at the time. There have been individuals, you would have seen it last year, who had taken their employer to unfair dismissals within the, the Victorian system. And there were three justices that ended up hearing the arguments, two of which just thought, ah, it's an anti-vaxxer, you know. And one of them, the, the dissenting judge, wrote the, most, the clearest article of all that this is about whether or not it's right to force an individual to take an experimental medical procedure in order to keep their jobs. Now, you and I would be looking at that going, this is a no-brainer. You can't force somebody to do something like that. There's no proof that it's a benefit or not a benefit. We already know all of that. 
So this is not part of their employment contract and yet the judges found for the employer and not for the employee. And the poor lady, the justice, she was the deputy president of this system. She has to be re-educated. She has to be re-educated. And when you read her, her dissenting argument, my goodness, so clear. We look at the, uh, the, what happened to George Pell. There's a perfect example there. And I don't know if any of you have taken the time, I dare say you might not have, but to read the arguments with regards to those justices during the Supreme Court at that particular time and how the Supreme Court found against George Pell and put him behind bars. I read the arguments. I read all the testimony, all the evidence that would condemn George Pell and put him behind bars. And I'm looking at it and I'm thinking to myself, if this is justice, if this is considered just within the state of Victoria, no absolute evidence. There was so much doubt that this could even be possible, that a man like that, and I knew that an innocent man was behind bars. I'm no fan of the Roman Catholic Church. Please understand that. No fan of it at all. But when it comes to truth, when it comes to justice, I stand on those things which are sure and which are true. And these people put him behind bars simply because of political expedience, not because of the truth. And this is the state of Victoria. And it took the High Court of Australia to release the man. It's an astounding situation. This is the world that we're living in. When truth is fallen in the streets, there is no justice, there is no judgment. But when the time of the millennium comes, there will be perfect justice and judgment. And it will all stand, stem from the truth. Isaiah 16.5 says... And in mercy shall the throne be established, and he shall sit upon it in truth, in the tabernacle of David, judging and seeking judgment, and hasting righteousness. Psalm 96.10 says, Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established, that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. This is the millennial kingdom. It will be filled with truth with justice and with good judgment. Zechariah 8.3 says, Thus saith the Lord, I am returned unto Zion and will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. This is the Lord. He's going to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. And Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth. Has this happened? This hasn't happened, not as far as I can see. This is Christ in Christ here it says mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace has kissed each other. What a wonderful expression that is in Psalm 85, 10 to 11. How will the greatest reset differ from this mini reset? It'll be one that's filled with truth and with justice and with righteousness and judgment. Next thing is peace. Peace and truth are often witnessed to appear together within the scriptures in the Bible, it's, it's not surprising that this kingdom will be one that will be filled with, with peace. The world continues to look for peace, saying peace, peace, when there is no peace. The kingdom of Antichrist is going to be one that will be identified by wars and rumours of wars. We know that. Nations lifting up sword one with another. These people fighting one another. Doesn't Jesus speak about the days of Noah? He says... Just as the days of Noah were, so shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Well, what do we see within, with regards to the days of Noah before the flood upon the earth? It's filled with violence. Filled with violence. 
And during the tribulation period, the book of Revelation says, and men will kill one another. They will kill one another. Why? Because truth is taken from the earth. All of this is removed. You can see men's minds being snapped in every way by Antichrist and what he's going to be doing within this world. That's the millennial king. That's, that's the mini reset that's coming. But the millennium, this kingdom of a thousand years of Jesus Christ is going to be identified by, by peace. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 2. Isaiah chapter 2. And just one verse there, verse 4. Here what we will see is that there will be both a national and individual peace as the fruit of the Messiah. And this is a, this is a passage that I'm sure most of you would know. Isaiah chapter 2 and verse 4. Again, this is the Lord judging the nations. It says there in verse 4, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Neither shall they learn more anymore. Learn war anymore. Isaiah 32, turn there. Isaiah chapter 32. Neither shall they learn war anymore. It's interesting. I don't know how many of you have ever had martial arts classes. Yeah, you've done that. I did that when I was when I was younger. Yeah, I got I got a black belt in Taekwondo, so don't you mess with you know don't you know I'm dangerous. You know, that was only when I was seventeen. I don't know how I can't even stretch my leg far past here now. So, but you know we learn war. Why? We we are desirous to defend ourselves and to beat our opponents. But I can tell you with all assurance, nothing good ever comes of it. And the Bible here says that they will not learn war anymore. They will not undertake any of these activities. Isaiah 32, verse 17. Verse 17. It says there, And the work of righteousness shall be peace, and the effect of righteousness, quietness, and assurance forever. And my people shall dwell in a peaceable habitation, and in sure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Can I ask you a question? Is that a good description of Israel today? No, it's not a good description of Israel at all today. We were in Israel in 2012 and it's the most astounding thing to watch a school of children going to the zoo and in front is a teacher and behind is a teacher and the teacher in the front has, I don't know what sort of a gun it is. It was, it was, it was like an M16 on the, on the shoulder and the teacher behind had an M16 on his shoulder. And there they are ushering their children to school. Do you think Israel is a place of peace? You know, it's like walking into a 7-Eleven, and they do have them over there. Was it, was, it, was it McDonald's? We walked into McDonald's, and there's, uh, there's a couple of uh, women being served. They're from the, the IDF, and there they are with M16s on their shoulders getting served by the person at the, at the counter, you know. We're worried about the cowboys in the United States with their little holster. Here they are, right open. You know, they've got their guns, their machinery on them. So, no, Israel is not in a place that it can ever be considered at this point in time as a place of peace. But the Bible says it will be. It will be. 
The Second World War lasted from 1939 to 1945. It was six years of war that included almost the entire world. A hundred million personnel from 30 different countries fought in this war and between 70 to 90 million people lost their lives. In Europe, the war ended on the 8th of May in 1945. The war against Japan concluded on the 15th of August in 1945, where two of the greatest atrocities ever seen in human history fell upon two cities. And in a moment, in a flash of an eye, 100,000 people lost their lives just like that in Hiroshima and the city of Nagasaki. Hiroshima, bad enough, and then Nagasaki as well, as if they were trying to, trying to test this, this, this weapon of mass destruction. Officially, World War II came to a close on the 2nd of September, 1945. It was six years and one day later. Finally, peace was celebrated. And you can see, how many of you have seen some of those video footages of, of people just celebrating in the streets? Everybody left their houses and they all went into the streets and all hugging and kissing one another, all celebrating the end of the war. And since that time, the world has continued to seek for peace. And the common phrase that we hear today is peace and security. Don't we? Peace and security. Peace and security. Peace and security. You can hear it almost all the time. What we're looking for is peace and security. Peace and security. Peace and security. Every single president, every single leader of a country, it's peace and security. Peace and security. That's what they're looking for. They're looking for safety. They're looking for that comfort. There's going to come a time when they believe that they have attained it. And the Bible says, and when they say shall... When they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction shall come upon them. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 7. There simply can be no peace in this world without the Prince of Peace. There just can't be. Turn your Bible to Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55 and verse 12. Isaiah 55, verse 12. It says, Therefore ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you into singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. What a wonderful expression that we see within the Scriptures. And this is concerning that time. This is the millennial kingdom. This is what that's going to be like. Turn forward 10 chapters to Isaiah 65. Here today, they seek to create peace at the point of a gun, but at that particular time, it will be a genuine peace right across the world during the Millennial Kingdom. And it's not just going to be people. It's not just going to be people. This particular reset isn't just going to affect people. It's not just going to be people that are going to be gathered together in peace one with another. Have a look at Isaiah 65 verse 25. Look what it says there. The wolf... And the lamb shall feed together, and the lion shall eat straw like the bullock, and dust shall be the serpent's meat. They shall not turn, they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, saith the Lord. Beloved, we haven't seen this since the beginning of creation. The Bible teaches this as that which occurred before the fall. Remember that? Where the animals were at peace one with another. There was no death. So there was no animals eating other animals. Nothing of that occurred during that particular time. But since the fall, that had all changed. 
the fall of man changed the entire constitution of nature within the, within the earth. Well, here, and we'll talk about this a little bit more next week, here there seems to be a return. There seems to be a return. The millennial kingdom seems to be a return to the pre-fallen world. Now, none of us have any idea what the constitution of this world was like before the fall of man. Matter of fact, none of us have a clue what it was like pre-flood. We don't know what it was like before the flood. We all live in the time after the flood, after the fall of man and after the flood, the judgment upon the earth. This is not a metaphor. This is literal. It's, it, it's spoken about literally here. This is a genuine peace that will last for a thousand years and then into eternity. During a time when global organizations were set up to establish peace on the earth, the 20th century has become the bloodiest century in world history. So it seems evident, doesn't it, that man cannot create peace. What man does is create destruction, his own destruction. Next one is joy. Joy. Isaiah 52. Have a look at Isaiah 52. The millennial kingdom is going to be one that's going to be identified by joy. The points get shorter as we move on. I won't be going through it. Not all the ones, you know, the ones that are in your newsletter? I'm not going to go anywhere near as long as that. I've only just picked a handful of them out. So you you can rest with regards to it. It won't be any longer than a normal message. Isaiah 52 verse 9 says there, Break forth into joy. Sing together, ye waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord hath comforted his people. He hath redeemed Jerusalem. And why should they not rejoice? Why shall they not rejoice when there's truth and there's justice and there's, and there's peace in the earth? No matter what it would be like to just be able to rest. You know, we're looking at all the stuff that's going on in this world and one of the things that I keep thinking to myself is, just leave me alone. You know, just let me live my life. Just let me go to work, earn my keep, come home, provide for my family and enjoy my life. What is this idea about trying to change everything? You know, I didn't have any problem with anybody else until all of a sudden they start trying to take food off my table. Now I've got a problem. I just want to live in peace. Imagine the joy when you know that you are living in a, in a world, in a framework where you have everything available to you. And again, we'll touch more actually towards the end of the message. We'll talk about the economic prosperity during this time. It's going to be incredible. This is joy. We sing together, waste places of Jerusalem. The Lord has comforted his people, he's redeemed Israel. Go back to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. Have a look at verses 7 and 8 there. I love listening to the pages of the Bible. You people that have got those, you know, computer contraptions, I can't hear you turn. So I never know whether or not you've, you've gotten, you found the place where you're at. So at least with the pages I can hear. Have a look at verse 7 and 8. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into singing Yea, the fir trees rejoice at thee, and the cedars of Lebanon, saying, Since thou art laid down, no fella is come upon, against us. That's speaking, obviously, about 
uh, about the devil, about Antichrist, about, about Satan himself, since he has been laid down. Isaiah 14 is an incredible passage in the Bible. Why shouldn't they be singing? Why shouldn't they be rejoicing when the fullness of joy has filled the entire earth like never before? This is what's coming and it's going to be for a thousand years and it's going to go on into eternity. Now, it's an interesting concept. No, I'll leave that until next week. Sorry, it's just too much. So exciting. Isaiah 65. Isaiah 65. Last chapter in the book of Isaiah. How many books are in the Bible? How many, how many chapters are in Isaiah? How many books are in the Old Testament? Old Testament. 39. 39 are in the Old Testament. Now, how many books, how many chapters in Isaiah constitute Isaiah 1? 39 chapters. How many books are in the New Testament? Yeah, the balance, yeah, 27. Right? Isaiah from Isaiah 40 right through to the end is considered to Isaiah. There was, we'll talk about Mr. Julian Wellhausen who came up with the Wellhausen hypothesis that there were two Isaiahs. There's not two Isaiahs. Jesus quoted from the same Isaiah in both of those different books. Anyway, another story. But they, they have a distinct break. There's a distinct change from chapter 40 on, from before chapter 40 in Isaiah. Distinct change. One would be considered the Old Testament and the other part the New Testament. 40 begins with comfort you comfort you my people what a change from everything the condemnation that was given in the in the beginning part anyway Isaiah 65 verses 18 to 19 read your bibles just just read them uh, that's all you'll you'll be able to pull all this out yourself Isaiah 65 18 19 be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create for behold I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and her people a joy and I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. What a relief that would be. You're talking about a city that has endured destruction on top of destruction. And it would also endure the tribulation period, which will be up to most destruction. Where a third of the city shall be destroyed completely. Where there is going to be a giant earthquake within that particular city where all the world's focus is going to be on Jerusalem during this tribulation period of time in history. Incredible thing that Jerusalem has endured all this, and yet here it tells us there'll be no more the voice of weeping heard in her. Well, this can't be now. This can't have been back when Isaiah was writing because he's speaking about it in the future. In the context of this entire thing, this is referring to the millennial reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, when the, the King of Kings will be reigning directly from Jerusalem. These are the people of that particular kingdom. What a wonderful blessing it is, you know. I'd spoken about in that previous message, I'd spoken about how we are the children of another kingdom. We are not of the world, though we are in the world. I spoke about how Peter wrote about how we are to be able to give an answer to everyone who asks us of the hope that is in us you know this is something that identifies us being the lord's children more than anything else joy joy where is your joy what 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 is that what is this what is the subject of your joy what is the object of your joy is it the lord he is the one that fulfills all our needs jesus spoke about that 
There's nothing that we need that he will not provide for us. Won't that be your comfort? Won't that be your rest? Shouldn't this be a time right now that you should be seeking the Lord more than anything else? That you should be looking up to the Lord and saying, Lord, how do we live in this present world as a separated people? As a people that's defined here during the time of the millennium that the happenings around them bring them happiness. Whereas we are to be happy even now. Count it all joy when you suffer diverse tribulations, says James. Hard thing to consider, isn't it, sometimes? i tell you right now, the only thing that ever brings me down uh, uh, is people, not circumstances. People are always hard. Oh, I find that the most difficult to deal with, always. But circumstances, circumstances are in the hands of the Lord. And those circumstances that we find ourselves under are circumstances that we can be lifted up out of by the Lord. He provides everything that we need. He provides all our joy and all our blessing and all our hope. Jesus said, He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Is that, is that a good description of you? Would you like it to be? I'd like it to be a good description of me. I would, very much so. I can't say that it's 100% a good description of me now, but I would very much like it to be a good description of me. That way I will have an answer to everybody asks me of the hope that is in me. Comfort. The next one is the comfort. When the comforter comes, there will be comfort. He will personally minister to every one of our needs. Isaiah chapter 40, turn there. Remember I mentioned this first verse, Isaiah 40. I've forgotten that I put it in here. Isaiah 40. This is in Isaiah 2. Uh, there is no Isaiah 2. It's just one Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1, it says, Comfort ye, comfort ye my people, saith your God. Speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem, and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned, for she hath received of the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Has that happened? Has that happened yet? Has, has her iniquity been completely pardoned? Has her warfare been accomplished? Not that you'd notice. What are we waiting for? We're waiting for a few things to happen. We're waiting on the Ezekiel War. We'll talk about Ezekiel chapter 38, where Russia, yeah, Russia and Turkey and the Sudan, where they are going to make an, an effort to actually invade and destroy, wipe off the map the entire nation of Israel. But all their efforts will become undone. You can read about it in Ezekiel chapter 37 and 38. Has that happened yet? No, no, hasn't happened yet, but it is going to happen. The Bible says it'll happen. It'll happen before this day occurs. Turn your Bible to Isaiah 51, 51 verse 3 (coughs) of our comforter. Says there in verse 3, for the Lord shall comfort Zion. Is another word for Jerusalem. He will comfort all her waste places and he will make her wilderness like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness shall be found therein, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. There is no such comfort in Jerusalem today like this. There is no such comfort in the world today like this. This is something that we are looking forward to. This is something that is going to be happening. This is a characteristic of 
that wonderful state during the millennium where we are going to be a part of. Today, it's nothing like that. Today, this wicked world is going to be like a troubled sea in Isaiah 57 verse 20. There will be distress of nations with perplexity and the sea and the waves roaring, Luke 21, 25. So says Jesus to his disciples. I love that phrase, distress of nations with perplexity. Are you starting to see a hint of that today? Perplexity, distress of nations with perplexity. They want to do what? But how do they justify that? But how do they, what's going on? This is, this is the world that we're coming into. This is the world that Jesus actually warned his disciples of. This is the state of the world prior to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Prior to this millennial reign of the Lord. Perplexity. Never in history of the world have we suffered the election of so many foolish individuals. It's as if we're all being led by fifth graders. Don't you think? I've never seen it before. I've never seen it before. I've never seen anything like that. It's like wisdom has just been sucked out of everybody that's actually standing for leadership. And they're just children. They're fools. Utter, complete fools. They have a contempt of the Lord. They have a contempt of justice. They have a contempt for the truth. They don't even know what they're doing. And we've got the leader of the free world that can't even stand on his own two feet. But he can't. He can't seem to utter a decent phrase without, you know, I think it was, it was Elon Musk that said, you know who leads America? The one that's in charge of the teleprompter. I like that. I actually thought, do you think that was funny? I thought that was really funny. Isaiah chapter 3 verse 12 says, As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, they which lead thee, cause thee to err, and destroy the way of thy paths. It's in Isaiah chapter 3 verse 12. It's a picture of judgment that comes upon a people when the people have forsaken God. When the people forsake God, it's not the men that rule. It's not the men that are governing. Men are the ones that are meant to be governing. Men are the ones that are meant to be in leadership. Men are the ones that are ordained by God for that, for that role. It's not, it's not us that's chosen it. As you can see plainly within the world, can't you see that plainly in the world? Men don't want to rule. They don't want to govern. We don't even want to be the heads of our own homes. We want our wives to take over that responsibility because it's just easier. That way we don't have to fight them all the time, you know? For us, we just stand back like, oh, you, you want to do this? You do this, you know? And yet the Lord's going to hold us accountable for that. We are living in a world that we are going to be led by children. I've spoken to the 18-year-old representative in, uh, at the election a couple of weeks ago here locally. 18 years old. He was 18 years of age and he's standing for a position as a representative and he wanted me to vote, him, vote for him and I simply asked him, I wasn't, I wasn't cruel, I wasn't, I wasn't, but I wasn't exactly kind because he needed to be put in his place. This is no William Pitt, this is no William Pitt, the youngest Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, this is nothing like that, he's a kid, looked like a kid, acted like a kid and I asked him the question, what do you know about anything. I know, it wasn't... 
But I had to ask the question, what do you know about anything? I mean, he probably still doesn't even clean up his own room yet. And yet Jordan Peterson is the one that actually says, you want to lead the world, you need to begin with cleaning up your own room. Now, a lot of people don't think that that's fair, but it is fair. It demonstrates a sense of responsibility. And here we have kids leading us. And you know what? There's a lot of people that voted for him. A lot of people that voted for him. Why? We want children to be our rulers. It's part of our judgment. It's part of this judgment. The world is headed to a day of trouble. Isaiah 22.5 says, For it is a day of trouble and of treading down and of perplexity by the Lord God of hosts in the valley of vision, breaking down the walls and of crying to the mountains. That was in Isaiah 22.5. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 54.13. Here we come to now knowledge. Knowledge will be something that will happen for the world that we are there's a lot of people that actually think that that's isaiah 54 is where you're going isaiah 54 a lot of people think that at the end of the world when jesus comes and he he deals with all the the wicked of the world and the world is going to be in such a state that somehow we're going to we're going to start again back in a stone age type environment no 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 it's not not furthest from the truth we're going to be carrying on the technical knowledge and know-how and understanding that we've had from back then. But the difference is now we're going to be taught directly by the Lord. We're going to be taught by the Lord. And we will have the ability to be able to understand, the ability to see, to hear, to know, to learn. Isaiah 54 verse 13. And it says, And all thy children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be the peace of thy children. Go back, go back all the way to chapter 2 of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. All these verses that I'm giving you are verses that contextually can refer to no other period of time. Can you recognise that? I don't want you to think that I'm actually just picking these, these, these verses. I know we're going through, especially in Isaiah, we're going through here, there and everywhere. And I don't mean to do that as a manner of confusion. I wanted to do that because I need to break it up into, into subjects, into topics. But I want you to be able to see that contextually, this can be referring to no other period in history. It can only be referring to the millennial kingdom of Christ because no other time in history has come close to meeting these, these requirements that are found here. Isaiah chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And many people shall go and say, Come ye, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us of his ways, and we will walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. You recognize that? Again, never happened any time in history before. These preterists who think that all these things had already been and gone have no understanding. They can't point to a single time where this is referred to historically. We are going to be taught of the Lord. He's going to be teaching us His ways. Matter of fact, we're going to be taking a hand of our brother and go, let's go, let's go to Jerusalem and let's be taught there directly of the Lord. We're going to learn so much. Go to Isaiah 32. Isaiah 32. Middle chapter there. One of the middle chapters. We're going to learn so much because our eyes again will be open and our ears are going to be ready to hear and we'll have understanding in that day. Isaiah 
Isaiah 32, verses 3 and 4. And the eyes of them that see shall not be dim, and the ears of them that hear shall hearken. The heart also of the rash shall understand knowledge, and the tongue of the stammerers shall be ready to speak plainly. They consider that. Consider how many times Jesus has said, having eyes to see, they will not hear. Having, well, they will not see. Having ears to hear, they will not hear. And their hearts, they will not understand unless I should heal them and take away their sin from them. Now here, it's completely different. Completely different. Having eyes, we're going to be able to see. Having ears, we're going to be able to hear. Having hearts desiring to understand, we're going to be able to understand. And those of us who can't even frame a single sentence together are going to be able to speak plainly. We're going to be able to speak plainly. Habakkuk 2, chapter 4, verse 14 says, For the earth shall be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Today, man destroys the inventions and threaten past inventions because the Lord has not executed any judgment upon the earth. So all this knowledge and all this wisdom that is there for the benefit and the blessing of the world has been taken away. Do you know that you could run your car on hydrocarbons? Do you know that you can actually just go to the sea, put in seawater in there and you could run it if you had the proper mechanical as- aspects to it? Do you know those inventions have already been and gone? They've been and gone. Imagine that. Imagine running a car on water and pumping out pure oxygen. <laughs> I don't know. I reckon that's a good idea. That could help the environment. They don't want that, do they? No, they don't want that. Anyway, the curse removed. Second last point this morning, second last portion this morning. The curse will be removed. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 30, 35. Isaiah 35. Isaiah 35 and verse 9, it says there, it says there, no lion shall be there nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. Turn forward to Isaiah 65, 25. Actually, before you go there, go back. You're still in Isaiah 35. Go back. Go back to verses 1. Actually, I should have just read the whole thing. Sorry. It says there in verses 1 and 2, The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it, the excellency of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Have a look at verse 7. And the parched ground shall become a pool, and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of dragons where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. Yes, there were dragons. They were real, according to the Bible. They were definitely real. Interesting times, interesting things. Have a look at um, Zechariah chapter... I promise you I was just going to keep you in Isaiah. Stay in Isaiah. Let me read Zechariah to you. Zechariah chapter 8, verses 11 and 12. It says, But now I will not be unto the residue of this people as the former days, saith the Lord of hosts. For the seed shall be prosperous, and the vine shall give her fruit, and the ground shall give her increase. 
and the heavens shall give their due. And I will cause the remnant of this people to possess all these things. What we see happening here is that right now the earth is cursed. Remember, God had commanded that curse and he put that curse on Adam. He told him about the increase of, its, of the field. It's not going to increase for you, but it's going to be bringing forth what? Briars and thistles. With the sweat of your brow, you're going to have to work the land. But the Bible indicates here that there's going to be a complete change in the constitution of this environment. The Bible says that the sun is going to shine seven times brighter. Like that? You want to get a suntan, that's the time. You don't need a fake tan, it'll go right through your walls. No. Doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be hotter. It's going to be shining seven times brighter. The moon is going to be shining seven times brighter. It speaks about the abundance of the earth. It's going to be bringing forth. Before we even ask for it, it's going to be bringing forth its fruit. These are the, this is the constitution of the world during the time prior to the fall. It's going to be returning. We saw the ages and the lives of men during that particular time, and I'll expand more on this next week. But the Bible says that the lives of men are going to be increased. It says that as the life of a tree is, so shall the lives of the Son of Man be. So we think it's strange today that people in the past lived for 600 years, 700 years, 800 years, 900 years before they died. Well, the Bible says that in that time, a child will die at 100 being cursed. Interesting, isn't it? In that day and age, we're going to be looking back at these days and go, I only lived until 70 or 80 years? Really? How strange is that? And these, these are the things that the Bible's teaching about that time. You could choose to believe it or not to believe it. I'd rather believe it because the Bible says it. If the Bible says it, I'll, it's my job to believe it. You know, And I want to believe it. I know that it's true because I know God is faithful in His Word. This is the incredible time during that time. I will multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field that they shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen, says Ezekiel in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 29 to 30. Lastly, economic prosperity. Economic prosperity. There is going to be an economic prosperity during that time that has never been seen on the world since. We saw last week how the blessings of the knowledge of the Word of God had so transformed Western civilization. We speak about the bringing out the, re the Renaissance period. Some people refer to it as the time of enlightenment, but that's referring more to rationalism than anything else. This is the Renaissance where art and music reached levels that we have never seen before, where philosophers were actually really thinking about the things of this world, where all the great ideas that we stand upon today were fostered and formed during that particular time. Why? Because the Word of God has been set free. No longer under lock and chain by the Roman Catholic Church, it's now been translated into the languages of the world. First in Germany, then in, 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 uh, in England and the United States. And this was the letting go of the Word of God that blessed the nation. Imagine what it's going to be like here. The economic prosperity with the Lord of Lords reigning and ruling in the kingdom where the Word of God will be known throughout all the earth. No form of government? Um, no, it's not going to be communism. It won't be communism. And no, it's not going to be democratic either. It won't be a democracy. It'll, it'll, it'll be a theocracy. We've we got a really interesting situation here in Australia. I don't know if you guys have ever noticed this. Do, do, do you know the system we have in Australia? It's a bit of a weird one. 
right? Because we continue to refer ourselves as a democratic country, don't we? That we're a democracy. So we refer to, to ourselves as a democracy. We, we vote, however, as a representative republic, don't we? That's how we vote. We vote as a representative republic. And yet, we actually are a constitutional monarchy. I don't know. You try and work it out. I can't work it out. All right? But this time, this will be a theocracy. And it'll be a theocracy where the Lord Jesus Christ will be ruling and reigning. It won't... The, the type of market system that we have is not going to be based on socialism or communism. And no, it's not going to be crony capitalism that we have just come out of. And it certainly will not be the stakeholder capitalism that they are trying to create through this mini reset that's coming. So it's not going to be that either. There will be no ESG scores. For those of you that don't know, that's the environmental, social and governance scores. These are the things that are actually ruling and governing your banks today. These are the things that are ruling and governing all your major corporations today. That if you do not have an ESG score, if you're not flowing on with regards to your commitments to the environment and to the social fabric of the world and to the governance structure that is going to be applied, then you can't prosper. Now, that ESG score is going to eventually come down to you and I, beloved. That's, it's, it's coming to us. It's coming to us. But it's, at this stage, that's what they're trying to create. So it's not going to be like that at all. This next system is going to be a true form of free market capitalism in its perfect and just form. The way that it was imagined by Adam Smith, the way it was imagined by the, 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 the framers of the Constitution of the United States, that's their imagination, but unfortunately the wickedness of man gets in the way. We're not going to have that here. Turn your Bibles to Isaiah 65. Everybody is going to be blessed by the works of their own hands. The works of their hands is going to prosper and nobody's going to take that away from them. Isaiah 65. Verse 21. 21 to 23, we're going to read three verses there. It says there, And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. They shall not build and another inhabit, they shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble. For they are the seed of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. One of the blessings that there's been in being in business for so many years is the, the belief that tomorrow is going to be like today, but a little bit more prosperous. That the laws that we have that govern the nation are going to be stable and strong and kept and retained. That way I can invest the resources that I have in the hope of a return. Okay? During the days of, I think it was um, Dr. Hewson who was going to be, well, he was vying for the Prime Ministership of the, of the nation. He had set forth a system that I thought was absolutely fantastic for business. I thought it was great. He didn't get in. He didn't get in because he couldn't work out what part of the cake was going to have GST and not GST. Couldn't work out. He got stumped by that question by a clever journalist and as a result that, that ruined his chances. 
when the laws are stable and framed in truth and in justice, you have the ability to put your, your, your work together and prosper. But not in a world that changes its rules and its laws at every moment. That one day you're allowed to open and the next day you're locked down. That one day that when you gain all your fruit and everything that you need, all your stock, tomorrow you've actually got to throw it out because the Premier has decided, nah, can't operate on Mother's Day, you know. So these sort of things that has destroyed the fabric of our own state, it's not going to be anything like that during the Millennial Kingdom. There will be economic prosperity. Jeremiah wrote saying, Therefore they shall come and sing in the height of Zion and shall flow together to the goodness of the Lord for wheat and for wine and for oil and for the young of the flock and of the herd and their soul shall be as a watered garden and they shall not sorrow any more at all. These are the wonderful blessings. Now I understand the Charismatics and the Pentecostals like to invoke invoke this next verse for themselves, but they can't. Turn your Bibles to the last passage we will have a look at, and that is the book of Joel. Joel, one of the minor prophets. So if you're in the book of Isaiah, move forward, go past Ezekiel, go past Daniel. Go past Isaiah, you should find Joel just there book of Joel and chapter 2 now remember Joel chapter the first couple of the first chapter and a bit of Joel it's speaking about the tribulation it's speaking about the evil that's going to be coming upon the earth now all of a sudden you see a distinct change a distinct change where all of a sudden we have this prosperity coming out and that fits perfectly with what we know about the history of of this period Joel chapter 2 verse 21 says there fear not O land and be glad and rejoice for the Lord will do great things be not afraid ye beasts of the field for the pastures of the wilderness do spring for the tree beareth her fruit the fig tree and the vine do yield their strength be glad then ye children of Zion and rejoice in the Lord your God for he hath given you the former rain moderately and he will cause to come down for you the latter rain, the former rain and the latter rain in the first month. And as the floors shall be full, and the floors shall be full of wheat, and the fats shall overflow with wine and oil. And I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten, the canker worm and the caterpillar and the palmer worm, my great army which I sent among you. And ye shall eat in plenty and be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God that hath dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never be ashamed. And ye shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and none else. And my people shall never be ashamed. What an incredible time. What an incredible period of history that's going to be coming. Never before have we seen anything like this. But this is going to be the incredible prosperity that's going to occur during that time it will be a golden age and there is a reason for that age and i'll talk about that more next week there is a reason why the lord wants to give us this thousand year period it has to do with a number of things primarily to fulfill the promises that was promised to israel because those promises have never yet been fulfilled but there's another reason for it also and the whole purpose is ultimately that we may glorify god for all eternity and not in ourselves 
that we would glorify Him. So what a wonderful blessing, and I pray that you join me next week as we go through that. Meanwhile, beloved, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. The three R's, there's three R's that I want to leave you with. No, not reading, writing, arithmetic. All right, not those three R's. There's three other R's. Read your Bibles that you might know the king of the kingdom to come and that you might tell the world about him. The second one is rejoice. Rejoice in the king of kings and the Lord of lords that your life might be filled with joy. Understand something. This is a command in the scriptures. It's not a feeling. You are commanded to rejoice in the Lord, to have your joy in him. And thirdly, rest. You may rest. You may rest in Christ. There is a rest appointed unto the people of God, the Bible says. Rest. Rest in him. Rest in him and him alone. These are his days. These are for his glory. And these are here for your encouragement. Rest in the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, dear Lord, for your word and for this time. I pray, dear Father, though this was just a a short gleaning of this kingdom to come, I pray, dear Father, that we may be wonderfully encouraged and that we may glorify your name for the rest of the days that you have given to us in this world. I pray, dear Lord, if there are any here that do not know you, any here, dear Father, who have not yet given their lives to the Lord, that they also may be the children of this kingdom. I pray, dear Father, that you would in every way prick their hearts and that they may come to you, that they may turn to Christ, that they may believe the gospel, that you died for their sins, and that if they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, they shall have everlasting life. I pray, dear Father, if there are any who hear this message, would do so, and in every way, dear Lord, commit their lives to you. And for those, dear Father, who have yet to commit their lives fully, I ask and pray, Lord, that you would give to them a purposeful heart to do so, that they would reject their desires for a life here and rejoice in the hope that they have for eternity. Watch over us, dear Lord, and bless our time. Pray also, dear Lord, that you would also bless the food that we're going to be having as we enjoy our fellowship. Bless that, dear Lord, we pray to our bodies. We pray all these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen.